Well, good morning, Wilshire. We are glad that you're able to be with us this morning. It is good to be able to come together to worship God. Even if we're doing it virtually, uh, God is here with us, and uh, we receive a blessing every time we're able to call on his name, to sing praises to him, and to study from his word. So thank you for joining us. Uh, it was it was a blessing to me to see Brother Dilworth in the flesh. Uh, he's been doing the right thing, uh, keeping uh, safe, I think, during the pandemic and keeping Ruby safe during the pandemic. And so we're, uh, we've missed him. I've seen him on the Zoom Bible class on Wednesday nights, and that's been great. It is, I guess got to tell you, brother, it's great to have you here. <laughs> And, uh, and and I appreciate uh, your willingness to come and, and lead us. It was good to hear your voice this morning. Um, I am a C.S. Lewis fan and a J.R.R. Tolkien fan. That's probably no secret. I talk about both of them a good bit. And uh, I, uh, back when I was in college, uh, I was in college before I read any of the Chronicle of Narnia books. Uh, even though those are books for younger kids than that. And uh, one of my favorite books is actually, I think it's the fourth novel in the usual ordering, called The Silver Chair. And um, the first three novels have all been turned into big Hollywood movies. They made a lot of money. And for some reason... Uh, the Silver Chair has yet to be released as a movie or made as a movie. I'm not sure why. C.S. Lewis in that uh, novel actually is poking fun of an early 20th century philosophical movement called logical positivism. I'm not sure why Hollywood doesn't think that would make buckets and buckets of money. Uh, but for whatever reason, it hasn't been made. I'm sad about that. One scene, I have to say, one scene in that movie really gets me. Uh, the, the children are kind of on a quest. They have a guide and, and they've been told there's a message and it's carved in stone. So they're looking for this message that's carved in stone. And they spend hours wandering in this sort of, uh, these, these canyons, these labyrinthine canyons. They turn left, they turn right, they go up, they go down. And they cannot find this message that they were told to expect and it's only later that you realize that the message is so big, they've been wandering around in the letters of the message for, for almost a full day and never realizing that that's what was going on. You know, we live in a world, oddly enough, in a strange world now relative to most of human history, in which a lot of people say, where is God? I, I, I wish I knew where God was. I wish God would send me a message. And I actually think our situation is way more like those children in the silver chair. The messages of God are so big, they're all around us, that they're too big for us to notice frequently. And uh, I've uh, last week and this week, I, I kind of wanted to focus on some of those aspects, and I hope I'll get to do it at least one more time. Some of those ways in which God talks to us. Last week, we talked about the fact that all of our lives, we've had that voice of God that we call our conscience or our sense of moral righteousness. And this week, I would just want to talk about creation blessings, how good the world is. God has been speaking to you your whole life 
through the goodness of the world that surrounds you. And it's big, and we take it for granted. But it doesn't change the fact that that's the voice of God. And so today, I want us to practice a little bit turning our ears and tuning our ears to hear this aspect of God's message to us. Jeremy read from that passage in Job, and so many of you probably still have that open. If you don't, go back there to that Job 38 chapter. Uh, And this is, as Jeremy said, this is when God comes and speaks to Job. You got to understand, in the book of Job, Job is, uh, in a sense, one of the great jewels of our wisdom literature in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's got history, and it's got law, and it's got prophets. And then it's got this wisdom literature, books like Proverbs and Psalms and and, uh, Ecclesiastes. And Job is, is wisdom literature. It's all about how smart people can figure out how the world is working. And so when you hear Job talk, and when you hear Job's friends talk, you have to understand that they are among the smartest people in the world. That's how the story, that's how it works, is that Job is extremely wise and his friends are extremely wise. You can tell because they just speak in poetry, this beautiful praise of God and explanation of how the world works. Even Job's friends who are wrong, it turns out, uh, they're incredibly wise, and Job is wise. And they've had this beautiful poetic debate back and forth and back and forth up to this point, and Job has asked God, I just want you to show up. I just want you to answer my questions. You stand and, and answer the questions that I have. And at this point in the story, God has shown up. But he doesn't answer any of Job's questions. Instead, he says, let me ask you some questions. And it's so interesting because Job and his friends, as far as humans go, they're about as smart as it gets. You can't get much smarter than them. And yet, once God starts talking they realize that their best day is is more foolish than the most foolish day of God. That their wisest thought is, is way below the most foolish thought of God. That they have to see themselves, once they stand in the presence of their creator, they have to see themselves as children relative to him. And that's kind of what this is. this is. This is God kind of pointing that out. Your understanding is fine, but it's so limited relative to what's actually going on. Where were you, Job? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? God asked, starting in verse 4. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off the dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? There's a little peek into what it was like when God created the world. The stars were shouting. The angels were happy. This is gorgeous. This is beautiful. That God makes the world a stable place for you and me. This is about God creating the world. God was under no obligation to make anything at all. 
He was certainly under no obligation to make the world that we live in. And, and if he makes the world, he's under no obligation to make it a pleasant world, a beautiful world, a world that takes care of us. And yet God has done all of those things. That's why the morning stars sang for joy is because God, just out of his bounty, has made this wonderful world that we see around us. Who shut up the sea behind the doors, verse 8 says. When it burst forth from its wound, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, this is where your proud waves must stop. That's such a great image. You know, think about how the ocean looks. If you've ever stood at the edge of the ocean and you've seen those waves and they, they look like they're trying to claw the land back, don't they? I mean, they're just coming and coming and coming. What if they win? What if they actually eat all the land? People in the ancient world may have actually asked that question. What keeps the ocean from just swallowing us whole? And... We know more about why that happens now in terms of God's laws and God's nature, but it's still the same question. What keeps that from happening? God does. God says, I'm going to set it up so that my people, my humans that I'm creating have a place to stand, a dry ground on which to live. I separate the land from the waters so my people have a place to be. Look at verse 12. Have you ever given orders, Job, to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Can you make the sun come up, in other words? <laughs> that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. I love that image. The earth is all covered with darkness, and God says, let's have some morning. And slowly the light of God begins to spread over the dark world. And people who might have been doing shady business when there was shade, have to go running away and hide themselves from God's light that's now shining. Can you do that, Job? Can you make the sun come up? Can you do it? No, I don't even know how that works, God. I got to admit. Yeah, well, I do that. I've been doing that for you your whole life. That's what I do. Um, it's such a great, great image of God, Job's whole life. Job has been receiving these blessings. Even when Job has been suffering, he's been receiving these blessings. These have been still poured into his life, even when he's in the midst of his illness and the loss of his wealth and the loss of his family and all these other tragedies. God's creation has still continued to be good to him. It goes on and on. There's actually two chapters of God asking Job questions uh, strange, weird questions in chapter 39. How come ostriches run so fast, Job? You know, where, where do you think I keep lightning when I'm not using it? You know, just all kinds of strange questions. Job has no answer for these. And, and, and we have, you know, some extra answers we would give today, but God would have no trouble asking us questions that would stump us too. We, you know, our science goes farther than Job's science, but it stops. And the point is not that God is smart. We know that. The point is God is generous when he doesn't have to be. 
Now, we talked about, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Thanksgiving festivals all around the world and talked about the festival of booths or tabernacles and talked about our own Thanksgiving festival that we celebrate in this country. And it turns out, we said this, this a few weeks ago, it turns out that Thanksgiving, both festivals of Thanksgiving and just the practice of giving thanks to someone is one of the most common human practices in the world. As far back as we can uncover civilizations, we find evidence of them giving thanks to someone. Now, the gods they give thanks to are not the god oftentimes, but they're giving thanks. They, and, and this gets to something that's very deep in us that, that is relevant to what I want to talk about this morning, and that's this, that, that we know we can't make the sun come up. We know we can't make the rain drop and fertilize our ground. We know those things. God has just been giving and giving and giving to us, and a natural response is to give him thanks, is to find him and give him thanks. I don't think we should be suppressing that response. I think we should be leaning into that response. There are people who say, no, 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 that's a crazy response. But I think that's, that's the way we feel. I think we should be leaning into it because I think that's what reality is. God has been speaking to us our whole lives in the blessings of his creation. Have you ever known somebody who does something nice for you and then they keep reminding you of how nice they were? Have you had a friend like, you know, probably you've had that experience. Um, it strikes me that God is like the exact opposite of that. <laughs> if we think of it, he does stuff for us that we may never know. And, and I'm sure he does things for us that we have yet to discover. And there are so many things. How, th how many blessings of God's creation have you enjoyed so far just today? You know, I got up out of bed and I did not, by stepping onto the ground, launch myself into outer space. Gravity kindly kept me anchored to the ground. And it also, it turns out, was keeping oxygen and the atmosphere around my head so I could keep breathing. And then that oxygen went into my lungs and my lungs were able to do this amazing trick of sorting the oxygen from the nitrogen and passing the oxygen into my bloodstream uh, and oxygenating my red blood cells so that that oxygen could be transported around to the cells in my body that need it. My heart was beating. Everybody, everybody think real hard right now. Make your heart beat. Come on, try it. Just think about it. Maybe if you squint your eyes, you can make it, make it beat. Go ahead, make it. How's that working for you? You ate food this morning, and that food was transferred into glucose that allows you to be thinking the thoughts that you're thinking right now. Here, I tell you what, by thinking, make your brain use glucose to be able to allow you to think about your brain using glucose. Do that. Think, think. How's that working for you? Do you know how long it was? 
before humans even knew that's what our brain was doing to allow us to think? God doesn't have to call attention to the blessings that he's giving us. Why does he do it? Because he just likes giving you stuff. He likes giving me stuff. He loves you. Go outside. It's a cold day today, but you can see the sun. The sun is actually sending out enough radiation to kill you. If you stand out there for two hours, that radiation that's coming from the sun could kill you. Except for this. The whole planet Earth has a force field. I thought force fields were kind of the thing of science fiction. You know, the Starship Enterprise has force fields and stuff like that, shielding and things. Turns out the planet Earth has this thing called the magnetosphere, which is generated by a bunch of stuff going on in the core, spinning around. And this magnetosphere stops most of the harmful radiation that otherwise would be lethal to us and allows us to be able to... You know how long it took for human beings to even know that was happening? God doesn't need to call attention to all the good things he's doing. He just likes to do them. Now, he thinks it's good for you to recognize the good things that he's doing. He's excited when our science advances to the place that we learn more good things and impressive things that God has done to bless us and to give to us and to take care of us. He's happy when we use the gifts he's given us to expand our minds and to expand our horizons so we can give him thanks for more of the things that he has done for us. I think that's, that's part of how this is supposed to work. I think he just takes joy in giving, and he's happy when we take joy in receiving and giving him thanks back. I think that's how this is supposed to work. Now, there are people who don't like this view that I've just laid out. They don't like the idea that I'm beholden to God and that, that God is blessing and that I have to give him thanks or I even ought to give him thanks. And so, you know, there are objections and we, you can't live in the 20th century or 21st century. Forgot where I'm, what time it is. You can't live in the 21st century without knowing some of the objections that people raise. One that I've heard that really kind of steams me a little bit is this one. If God is so generous, why are there so many hungry people in the world? Did you know that there are over 800 million hungry people in the world? That is hungry by the definition of the UN health organizations. They go to bed hungry. They don't have enough calories to let their brains develop fully. They don't have enough calories to grow to full human height. 800 million. Why isn't God more generous? I've heard that objection. You've heard that objection. I have to say that one really, really bugs me. Think about this scenario. We've got a lot of teachers that come to the Wilshire congregation. So this is not entirely outside the realm of possibility. Imagine you as a teacher brought cookies for your class. You brought three dozen cookies. The four biggest kids 
take all three dozen and you see the rest of the kids crying because they don't have cookies. How would you feel if those kids who took all three dozen cookies look at you and say, should have made more cookies? Do you realize that we could solve world hunger today? Humans could. If every human being, I mean, this is actually a very generous expert. Uh, th this is a very, ex um, this is on the high side. If every human being that went to bed last night with a full belly shared 50 cents worth of food today, nobody would go to bed with an empty belly tonight. 50 cents a day. Americans could actually do that by the largest estimate I was able to find if we would share $9 worth of food. We could feed everybody who's hungry on this planet, all eight. Hundred million, nine dollars a day. Now I know there's logistical problems and all kinds of difficult, and that's part of the difficulty. But don't tell me it's not be, it's because God is not generous. God has given us this incredibly bountiful natural world that provides and provides and provides foods. We hoard it. We are scared we won't have enough. We keep it. We are the stingy ones. And I'm afraid that on the day of judgment, we are all going to be begging for the mercy of Jesus Christ on this issue. Because Jesus said, when you see somebody who's hungry, if you feed them, you are, you may not realize it, but you are feeding me. When you do it to the least person, you are feeding me. This, this weekend, Wilshire is doing the next of our food pantry days. And I'm told we have plenty of volunteers. And I was told on Wednesday night at our, at our Zoom Bible class that Wilshire's actually doing really well so far in terms of getting the food that we need to, to fully uh, provide for our food pantry needs. And I'm grateful for that. Wilshire has a reputation for being a very generous congregation. That's good. And keep that up, church. Uh, I'm just saying this is a natural, natural thing for us to do as God blesses us that we bless others. Sometimes people will say, and they don't like the idea of, of thanking God for the blessings that he's given. Sometimes they'll say, maybe we just got lucky. Maybe it's just an accident. I looked this up today. Do you know how many planets have been discovered outside of our solar system? Turns out, I, I know you're just waiting at the edge of your chair, so I'm going to tell you, 4,300, a little bit more than 4,300 planets have been found, have been confirmed to exist outside of our solar system. It's really hard to find, it, find one, so that's about how many. Do you know how many of those are estimated to be in the habitable zone, in the right temperature zone uh, to have liquid water on the surface? It's usually the way the habitable zone is determined. It turned out this was revised drastically downwards uh, in 2018 because most of the stars that planets have been discovered around are the wrong type of stars. It turns out there's only about 13 out of the 4,000 plus planets that have been discovered so far. Only 13 
have the right possible temperatures to have the possibility of liquid water on them. And we don't know if any of them actually do, uh, nor any other kind of fertility that would make life possible there. I just point that out because when somebody says, we just got lucky, they aren't telling you something they know. They are telling you something they hope. When someone says, maybe we just got lucky, they are hoping there is no God. And so I think the world looks like it's been given to us by someone who loves us and wants to bless us. I think it looks like that because it is, and we should respond. I think that's normal. Sometimes people say, well, there's just a natural explanation. There's a natural explanation for why the rain falls. There's a natural explanation for why the sun rises. Okay, we need to get over that one. I'm sorry. That's a good argument if you're trying to not give thanks to Zeus. That is not a good argument if you're talking about the creator of nature. Who made the sun? Who made the rain? Who made nature itself? When you give a natural explanation, you're just explaining a way that God did something. You're not replacing God with something natural. It doesn't work like that when you are talking about the maker of heaven and earth, which is what the Bible says God is. Zeus, he's a part of heaven and earth. He's a creature within heaven and earth. He's, he's a byproduct of some other things within heaven and earth. And yeah, if you can prove that a lightning comes from ionic exchange, then probably Zeus didn't throw that lightning bolt. But that doesn't work. That kind of explaining away does not work when you're talking about the one who made ions and clouds and all of the other laws of nature. Of course what he does happens naturally. Nature is his. It's God's nature. And so when we give thanks for things that occur naturally, like the fertility of crops and the rising of the sun and, and the falling of the rain, we should give thanks to that for the one who created natural processes and set them up so that they actually provide us blessings. This is such a persistent theme in the Psalms, and we're very familiar with that. I just want us to encourage, I want, I want to encourage us to tune our ears to this aspect of God's voice. It's all around us. It's so big that we miss it, but it's all around us that God has been pouring into our lives these creation blessings all of our lives. How do I tune my ears to, to hear that voice? Well, Number one, I give God praise. It's, it's not bad to fill your prayers with praise to God. And sometimes that's a neglected prayer discipline. We're all pretty good about the prayer discipline of asking God for more stuff. What we sometimes neglect doing is telling God, you know, I appreciate the stuff you're already doing. And let me give you some praise for that. And so giving God praise, we see that happening in the Psalms. Psalms 104, you don't have to turn to it, but you can mark it in your mind. Psalms 104, verse 10. He makes the springs pour water 
into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes the grass grow for the cattle, the plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine to gladden human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread to sustain their hearts. It just goes on and on and on. It's it's just saying, God, we recognize you as the source of all of this. You are amazing. We can't make this stuff happen ourselves. We would labor and labor and labor, and without your creation blessings, none of our work would pay off. We know that it is you. We give you praise. That's one of the ways to tune our ears to this voice of God. The other way is to give God thanks. To say explicitly, God, I thank you for the food I'm eating. God, I thank you for the rain I'm receiving. God, I thank you for the sunshine that's on my face. I thank you for the blessings of my family. I thank you for the good things that you've filled my life with. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the creation blessings of God. Those are two ways that we can tune our ears to be aware of this voice of God. Let me give you the most important way you can do this. God has been giving and giving and giving to you your whole life. Stuff that you may or may not be aware of. As you get smarter and as humans get smarter, we become aware of more things that God is giving us and the ways he's doing it through his natural world. He's a giver. You be a giver. You want to be attuned to God's voice. You start giving. You can't give as much as God. It's impossible to do that. But you can give some. And learning to do that in a systematic way, learning to have an open heart that wants to bless those around you to the extent that you have the ability to do that, that will open your ears to hear the voice of God every day in his creation blessings. Let's pray together. Dear God and Father, we thank you so much for the good, good things you put into our lives. God, you just keep on blessing us. Even when we're rebel, uh, rebels against you, even when we're acting like your enemies, you keep sending the rain, you keep sending the sunshine, you keep filling our bellies with food. God, we thank you that you are a loving and generous God that provides so much for us. And God, we want to do better at hearing this aspect of your voice. God, we want to give you thanks and we want to give you praise. And God, we want to give to those around us because you have given to us. We receive your love and we want to become conduits of love. We want to give out some of what you have given to us. God, lead us to those opportunities where we can do that. Please bless our food bank this weekend and bless those families that we're able to touch through it. Bless all of our other activities here at Wilshire and around the world as Christians try to give back into the world some of the blessings that you have given. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.